Welcome to the Talent Exchange. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Jess, Head of Marketing at Networks. We connect great talent with fantastic businesses nationwide through intuitive applicant tracking technology and supportive recruitment campaigns. Today, I'm really pleased to be joined by Richard Edge, the founder and CEO of award-winning business, Careerships. With a wealth of knowledge and experience across talent acquisition, Richard is an executive coach working globally with talented individuals to mentor them in their career path. Richard joins us today to share his insight into people dynamics, candidate expectations and the wider job market. So please introduce yourself for the listeners, Richard. Hello, my name is Richard Edge. I'm the CEO and founder of Careerships and delighted to be asked to be on the podcast today. I'm very much looking forward to the discussion. Careerships is a startup business based in the UK, although we have partners around the world and we get involved working with individuals at different stages of their career journey. We focus on helping individuals rather than businesses. So we use a holistic coaching model as well as supporting people with their documentation to help people find out what they would like to achieve in their career, how to do it and how to get there within the timeframes that we agree. It's a very enjoyable business. It ultimately means we change people's lives My background used to be in human resources before creating this startup and I've worked in global mobility and talent acquisition in several continents from junior people or professionals from undergrads to grads through to C-suite execs and we work across all sectors. So I'm hoping today that my perspective gives an interesting insight into the people dynamics of career pathways and how people find themselves in those their individual journeys. Fantastic. Thank you, Richard. And welcome to the Talent Exchange. Today, we're going to be talking, like you've already mentioned, about candidate experience, candidate expectations, and quite a bit about your background and your career. So I'm going to dive straight in. So as the world evolves, not just after the last 18 months, but in general with technology adoption, greater transparency and access to information online and exposure to success stories of others, Candidate or job seeker expectations, I imagine, have shifted quite substantially too. So what are candidates looking for to be enticed and attracted to a changing role? What's your perspective on this? It's a really interesting question. And so much has changed in the last few years, not just with COVID and a technological boom, but even in terms of flexible working patterns and remote working. If we think that up until recently, a lot of people that in a professional environment were at nine to five, which was a model created in the 1920s in the States. Since then, we've had the internet and we've had global mobility happen, but that model hasn't really changed, but individual mindsets have changed and they're now influenced by social media and everyone's being pushed into a side hustle or working in an office with bean bags and all this cool and funky stuff, whereas previous generations were still happy with nine to five job for life do your time get your pension and then see where you go from there I think the people that I speak with when we're thinking about what a career change might look like I always try and frame it around three different points which are unique to every individual and that is on the premise that anything is possible within your career but what are the three things that are important in terms of geography, timescale and remuneration? 
And even with tech, I don't think those things have necessarily changed because if you are looking for a HR director job in Leeds or Bradford at a certain salary, then there's only so many opportunities that are going to fulfill those requirements. Whereas if you are looking at, I would like to work in HR within any country in the world, across any sector, then you now actually have the tools to do that. And LinkedIn is probably the most important tool in anyone's career journey at the moment, because it gives you almost unlimited access to learn not just about companies around the world and what they're doing, but also the people within those companies. And I think what COVID and remote working has increased within candidates is candidates have more time to look for jobs while they're at work. <laughs> so there's always used to be a feeling that can't really look for things in case my boss is tracking my computer or if someone walks past and looks over my shoulder. And now candidates that are unhappy or not engaged or not fulfilled can spend a lot of their time with the Zoom window minimised scrolling through LinkedIn, looking at what might be elsewhere. And I think it's important to note that they are getting as good at stalking as recruiters are. And I guess what I mean by that is recruiters will receive CVs and they'll think, oh, I'll just Google this person and I'll just go on LinkedIn and look at this person and see what their background and see if it's authentic and whether it matches their CV. Candidates are doing the same now. And a lot of candidates that I work with, they're going on LinkedIn and looking at the company page, but then they're looking at the people within that company and their activity. And then they can see people who left and they can see if they've written anything about the company. So you're getting a much more holistic view of the type of person within that business and whether it might be the right fit for you. I mean, when I was growing up, my mum used to say to me, when you're going for an interview, always get there half an hour early and sit in the car park and count how many people look either happy or sad as they're leaving the building. And that was something I always did through my career in London, actually. But now you can get a feel for the happiness of an organisation through what its people are posting on LinkedIn and also looking at their length of service and what is the job progression like within these companies and do they really value a certain type of person or culture or are they diverse? So companies can't trick their way into saying all the right things anymore because the best quality candidates are doing that due diligence now due to the tech that's available for them. That's some really interesting content there. Thank you for, for sharing that, Richard. You sort of talking there that not necessarily that candidate expectations have changed in terms of like the offer and the package of roles, but more about the behaviour has changed and the transparency has changed. Therefore, that it's not just about what you put on the, the job advert or what you're putting out there to the candidate in relation to the role, but the wider behaviour of the organisation, their employer brand and the, the sort of candidate perception of the company alongside that role that's having an impact on the attraction and, and the expectations of that candidate throughout that process. Because expectations not only cover candidate attraction, but the wider sort of candidate experience piece. And as the working world is evolving, so does the workplace and the processes to adopt, engage, infuse, and inspire applicants looking to join our organizations. So do you think that this has changed for the better? Do you see organizations finding a way to address this using social media to, to share more about their company culture, their values, using their website and maybe more recruitment marketing techniques? Organisations have improved, but there's still quite a long way to go. 
And I think one of the challenges, especially from a recruitment perspective is, especially in the UK, an individual's employment legislation rights start from the point of application, not from the point of employment. So recruiters need to recognize that everybody that is interested in their business is a stakeholder now. So it's one thing to say all the right things about your employees, but it's what we've not quite got to yet is giving really good candidate care. And I hate the word, but with a lot of people that I work with when they're first trying to interface with new organizations, there's still quite a lot of arrogance in recruitment. And it's a bit like we're part of this company and we have this badge and you have to play to our tune to get it. And mistakes can happen in that scenario. There's a whole element around people's networks and hiring what you like and what you know and are comfortable with and recruitment unconscious bias. And in terms of getting the genuine best candidate that's going to be the, the right fit, it can't be done quickly. It has, you have to take time. You have to treat the candidates with respect and foster the right environments. Otherwise, you will recruit what you've always recruited. And if that had worked the first time, there would not be a vacancy because everyone would just be there for life. And I always say to people, every time that there is a job advertised, someone's trying to solve a problem. Otherwise, the company would just not spend the money on the position. So if there is a problem there, there's something that needs changing. And I don't think necessarily companies always think that through. They just try and someone's left will get the same. Someone's left will get the same. So they have an already prejudiced view in it sometimes of what they're looking for in a candidate. And it means that they don't treat different candidates in, in the right way. And some of the people that I work with, I get very committed with everyone and it's a very partnership oriented approach. So I go through the whole journey with them and we have very active communication on an early daily basis and people often put their hearts and souls into application processes and then get kind of a default rejection with, in fact, recently one of my candidates put so much effort into an application and she was absolutely perfect for the job. Three days later, she got an automated generated email that said, thank you for your interest. You have not been shortlisted. No feedback is available at this time. Please see our jobs board for future roles. However, we now live in a technological world. So on behalf of that candidate, I went onto the LinkedIn and got LinkedIn with the chairman and all the non-execs of that business and asked them what they thought of that company's recruitment processes. Two of them actually had a chat with me and they were shocked when they heard that that was what was happening in the candidate experience. And that organization, which is one of the main employers across the north of England, uh, has now changed their process off the back of that. But this conversation was uh, only six weeks ago. And you would like to think that a lot of companies had evolved to better standards than that than beforehand. And whilst the evolution now means that people can request feedback and a conversation, they could still do better than that. But at least it's a start. But they were so, again, that word arrogant, that they didn't really need to look after candidates, only the ones that they were interested in. I think it was quite a negative process. So organisations have done some things, but there's still big areas for improvement, in my opinion. 
completely agree with you there, Richard. We work with a lot of our clients on the candidate experience, utilizing technology to help improve that so that they, they do get more personalized messages after, after the back of, of doing a, an interview process, that people do have the opportunity to request feedback and think about it from the more of a holistic point of view that those candidates might not have been fit for that role, but they, they still have an affiliation with your brand. They may apply for future roles. They may talk about your business or your organization with their networks. They may share things on social media and you want to make sure that that, is, that process is reflective of your values, of your employer brand that is authentic and that it is a positive experience, even if the, the outcome of the process is that they haven't been fit for the role at this particular time or there was a, a different candidate that was more suitable. So completely uh, agree with you on, on some of those points there. Thank you for sharing that story too. So you, you hear that a lot of headlines uh, off the back of that saying that candidate experience is the worst it's ever been, yet we have more technology now like we've been talking about than ever before and insightful data and capability in-house to tailor the experience for candidates there's lots of different forms of AI you can change the interface of a website when people go to it based on data and behavior that you've been able to glean from their other internet experiences but where do you think employers are missing the mark where do you think they're missing the mark for the candidate experience do you think it's just a feedback piece or do you think it's earlier in the process that they could be doing more what are you getting from your clients so technology is a, is a wonderful and also sometimes upsetting things. And it can be, in one of my first jobs in HR, I had to uh, scan in everyone's personnel files because they've never had an electronic version. It's going back some time now. But some of the contracts in there were from the 1950s and 1960s, and they were all in nicely leather-bound documentation or handwritten contracts and now when you think everyone just gets an email that's really generic and completely impersonal I think those sort of personalization approach can go a long way when I worked in the Middle East if we were hiring expatriates everyone would get a family welcome pack but we also used to send packs to candidates as well to educate them a little bit about the, the culture and the company that they were going into with more information about the business than you might find online. But I am of the personal view that the candidate experience from a candidate's perspective is probably the worst it's ever been. I think it's all about pace and volume now. And I've had some mainly undergraduates and postgraduates that work for me that have been looking for schemes in very large companies once they finish their studies and they get interviewed by these AI tools and often get no feedback at all. So these young people that are, we must remember academically and from an intelligence perspective in the top five to 10% of our country's population are now having an experience where they might apply for jobs for months and months and they never even get to speak to a human being. And my business, Careerships, is about careers and relationships. And from my perspective, happy careers is a people business. There's the old adage that people don't leave companies, they leave employers. And I actually think that people leave colleagues, they leave employers, they leave people that don't have nice working environment. And so we're missing out on getting the best quality candidates by not taking the time to understand who those candidates really are because we're looking for speed and efficiency 
and maybe I'm old fashioned, but I think by kind of meeting people in person or taking time to see them goes a long way. On the other end of the spectrum, very re recently I've worked with a number of C-suites in different industries, pharma, legal sector, banking, tech, and the on-trend thing which I'm seeing the most is stakeholder interviews because these global businesses are now saying, well, you can meet with people in China on the US and Australia, and you can have Zoom. So my candidates in this perspective are having eight or nine stakeholder chats with these people because technology has given the tools to be able to do that. But the feedback from my guys is the people they're meeting don't really know why they're meeting the candidate. So I think businesses have gone, yeah, we can do this and we can do that and they can speak to this person and get, and then actually they're not getting any decent quality feedback because the people in the process don't know why they're in the process. <laughs> it's just become a bit of a tick box because, hey, technology has given us the tools to be able to do this. So we should do it, right? Awesome. Fantastic. And then I think, well, maybe some of the strategy has been lost here. Maybe there's been a, I think if you're going to use these things, there's very much a place for it. But from my perspective, it's about does everyone who's utilising the technology understand why we're utilising the technology? And it shouldn't be a replacement of a whole process. It should be a facilitator of a world-class effective process. So there needs to be a bit of a combination for both. But for me, I like everyone to treat any candidate as a human being is one of the starting points. And actually, one of the things I teach my clients is before you apply for a job, go on LinkedIn and connect with people in the company and try and have a chat. Because if they see you as a human rather than a name on a piece of paper, you're hacking that psychological connection and tech kind of limits us from doing that. Although now my candidates also use AI to assess the people on LinkedIn that are within the companies to work out what their psychometrics and profiles as well are as well. So it, it can work both ways, but we can all do better, I think, in treating everyone more humanely. I think it's about getting a, a balance. I think there is a, such a, a vast amount of phenomenal tech at our disposal. It's about getting that balance and not losing the human touch, because like you've said, recruitment is all about people. And it's making sure that that comes through, but using the technology as a facilitator, I think you said too, to facilitate the, that process, make it more streamlined, make sure that you've got more channels to communicate and engage, but also make sure that it's not a robotic process and that it authentically shows you and your business in the best light rather than being a tick box exercise. And it's funny you should share that people have got a bit Zoom happy and allowed people to, to connect and have lots and lots of calls, but actually that's going too far the other way and not enabling people to have productive calls or ones that are going to be you know, useful for the, for the process for both the candidate and also the business in there same sense so uh, some really really interesting points there thank you for sharing your opinion on that Richard we can't really escape the fact that, that COVID has had quite a dramatic impact on recruitment and technology has played a big part in us being able to navigate the, the last 18 months or so not only the challenges for organizations in the recruitment market with volume volumes of applicants which has been rapidly changing we had quite a, a big volume and then we seem to have dropped off in the the recent weeks but also the change in sourcing skilled and qualified candidates when there's been a market of uncertainty and people have not wanted to move or they have wanted to move there's been a lot of fluctuation there 
but it's opened the door for greater flexibility to think and reflect on what they're looking for, especially in the evolving working world now where there's a lot of people who are advertising jobs that are remote or you don't have to be based in the country that the, the organisation's based in. That's opening a few doors, which I'm sure we will talk about later today. But are there any lessons or trends that you think that organisations need to be considering as a result of the last sort of 18 months with COVID? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that for someone like myself that has actually worked in healthcare policy for the best part of a decade in different countries, it feels like the last 18 months has put that sector in the spotlight. I once joked that when I returned to the UK, I was suddenly in on a little island surrounded by 40 million COVID-19 experts. And I think, although I say that tongue in cheek, there is some truth to that. People are now more conscious of healthcare and mental health as well has also been another agenda. So I think if companies really want to get a strategic advantage now, they have to be conscious of the fact that they need to have a good health policy in place. They need to have good flexible rewards Flexibility is completely on trend at the moment in the UK. And I think the more flexible you can be, isn't it? It's replaced the beanbags of the 90s. And now it's like, well, you can be at home with your own beanbag and you can have a nine day fortnight or you can work whatever hours you want. And we, we trust you with that. And it's amazing, actually, it's taken so long to get to this in the UK. There was a tech company in Australia about 12 years ago that used to have what they called Freedom Thursdays which was when all of their developers could spend the whole day working on whatever it was that they wanted to work on. And the bosses would bring in drinks and cake and they'd have big fun parties. Those Freedom Thursdays used to create more innovative solutions in that one day than in six months of work that had gone on before it, whenever they used to do it. And it just shows sometimes organizations need to stand out of the way and let their people work. And I think one thing that we need to be conscious of as a country is that this is a trend. This isn't going to last. So at the moment, there's a big push for flexible working. But actually, there is going to be a pushback to office working at some stage. Otherwise, there's going to be a mass migration of outsourced work because there's a lot of people all around the world that would love to do the jobs that people in the UK have, but weren't able to because they can't be here. But if we suddenly say that everything can be done remotely, that's going to change that equation. And it's certainly a risk that unions in large public sector organisations are starting to think about. But I would expect this current trend to be part one of a multi-part phase over the next couple of years. And it'll be interesting to see because it's unprecedented. We've never had anything like this before where people can go and work wherever they want in the world. Or if you're working remotely, anybody can do that job. Everyone's got uh, different pay rules and regulations. So in the UK, we pay our people quite highly compared to other countries. So if other people in other countries can do that job online, then why would businesses keep the person that's based in the UK? It's going to be a really interesting one to watch. When I worked in the Middle East, we paid people. Someone once said to me that they have problems with equal pay between men and women. And I sort of laughed and said, no, they don't pay men or women differently in the Middle East. They pay you based on the colour of your passport, which is actually true. So if you're from the UK or US, you'll be paid more than someone from India or Asia or from East Africa. It doesn't matter what your skills are. It's all done based on nationality. And 
I don't ever see Britain moving there, but I think we have to be conscious of the fact that, especially post-Brexit, this is a global marketplace for the first time that we're not used to operating in. So that means we can attract people from all around the world, but a lot of people from around the world are now competing with candidates as well. And we need to be conscious of what's the right balance as employers, I think. Some really great points there, Richard. Thank you. And just going back to that flexibility one, that's quite a, an interesting one that we've seen quite a lot of on at LinkedIn, people asking questions about whether people want to be back in the office or whether they want to be working from home. And everyone's got a, an opinion on that matter. I probably entered about 25 polls myself answering those kind of questions. And I always think it's really interesting to read the comments to think about how organizations legislate for those changes because everybody's got a differing opinion within the same organization everybody's got a differing opinion and we, we've been talking a little bit today about re- relationships and recruitment being more like a, a two-way process and and you know a conversation making sure it's the right fit for the candidate and also for the right fit for the employer you know it's a conversation that you're having as part of that process I know that you talk about how your organisation looks at that relationship and you work with your clients on that relationship basis. I think maybe organisations need to be looking at the flexible working and some of their offerings as more of a relationship with their employees and candidates, prospective candidates, understanding what they want and how that they can make an offering or tailor their offering to suit their audience. I think that that relationship will be quite important in that. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think it's a really good point. And one thing that used to baffle me, I mean, I've used to work in OD for a few different organisations and have been one of the people responsible for flexible working policies and also on the employee relations side when they passed legislation to say everyone now, now has a legal right to request flexible working. I was one of the HR people going around to the management saying, don't worry, they've got the right to request, but we don't have to approve it. We just got to go through the process. And that wasn't that long ago. You're only looking at about 10 years ago. And that still may exist in many companies. I think tailoring their offering to suit their audience is a really good point. And I think, for example, if organisations are considering flexible working offering, They need to know what the people in their organisation want. There has to be good discourse with their people. They can't just go to a conference or onto the CIPD website or another website that promotes HR material or pick up a book and go, this company is doing X, therefore we should do X, because you end up in best practice, not best fit. And every organisation needs to be authentic to the environment that it's trying to create. And I think they could do worse actually than getting feedback from candidates as well that go through their own processes and tailor and tweak it accordingly because these are the people that they're attracting so do they know if they're handling them in the right way or not well they need to listen to the people rather than just thinking that we know best there's no one size fits all to what a good flexible environment is or what a good working environment is it varies across culture within organizations and industries and across their own people so I think that two-way discourse is really important to to get going look if we had been in a situation now around flexible working and I worked for a company that said I could work from home two days a week and I was just starting out in my career I wouldn't have had a career like everything I learned, yes, I did a couple of masters and a couple of degrees and always had mentors that I set up and these kinds of things. 
but the things that I learned were coming out of meetings and tapping someone much more senior on the shoulder and going, can you just explain what just went on in there to me? I haven't got a clue. And I had a, a good friend of mine is a, a partner in a, a large law firm. And he said, absolutely brilliant, this flexible working thing, because it's great for him. He's got kids and he knows what he's doing. He said, but we've now got a talent crisis. He said, because the guys that are coming out of university have got no one to learn from. So we're just stopping hiring grads because there's no point. Because until we're all back committed to being in the office full time, we can't, there's no one there to teach them how to do the technical complications that are required in a legal profession. And I think that might be similar. I mean, in the clinical profession, it's different because the COVID rules don't apply to them being frontliners, but there will be other professional sectors that are going to have that problem where the people that are in influential positions of authority that the term inflexible working is great yep it suits them but does it actually suit the next generation that's coming through and that sometimes worries me a little bit maybe we need to do a bit more of a, a bottom-up approach to determining how an organization should be it feels like organizations have forgotten that we have things like talent pipelines and succession planning we're all living in the COVID-19 moment and we're all going yeah this is what we want so therefore that's what everyone wants and you know what in some cases it might be and but I think the key is find out if it is within your organization and then apply the most appropriate strategy to it don't just assume you're doing the right thing because BBC says yeah flexible working is cool and we can do it so yeah, each organisation needs to be different and diligent in its strategy. I think it is about that communication isn't it? And, and speaking, like you said, with the candidates, but also with your existing employees. We did a, a podcast with one of our clients, Debbie from Click Through Marketing, talking about onboarding. She talked quite a bit about how every time that she goes through the recruitment process, they always ask for feedback from the people who have accepted the job but for also from the people who haven't about the experience about the process the information they were given whether the induction was substantial enough what their thoughts and feelings are about remote working what they need to remote work however they'd prefer to come into the office and meet the team and and it's getting those questions answered by a variety of different people at different levels in different parts of the organization so that you can find a way because it's hard isn't it to legislate for everybody because everyone in different departments in one department might be absolutely fine like you say to to work from home and work flexibly because they don't need to and everything's done online but in other departments you're not getting that same learning experience you're not listening to those conversations like you were saying there so it is it is a difficult one but some really interesting points there thank you so we like to ask a couple of bonus questions as part of the podcast and I think you, you've probably got time to squeeze in both I think today. So the first one we'd like to ask is what one key trend do you think is going to have an impact on talent acquisition in the next six months? So I think specifically in the UK we have to be conscious of the, the COVID timeline and I think a lot of people over the last year have clung to what they've got. When I worked in the Middle East, I went through different phases of things like global blockades where countries were cut off from others. And we also had other pandemics with the SARS and MERS outbreaks and these sorts of things. And what happens when you have these external factors is no one really wants to move because everyone, there's enough change going on in the world. So you kind of keep as much constant as you possibly can. And I think as we move towards 
a normal environment, people are going to start talking again. The more people talk, the more people compete, the more people want to realise they need to progress or do different things. So I think the best way to get the best talent, the biggest impact is being ready to get people as they're thinking about moving. So think ahead. The more that you recruit for the long term and put more effort into longer processes, the better quality outcomes I think businesses will get from their people. The worst recruitment and talent acquisition happens when someone resigns and you need to replace them and you need someone within a week. If you really plan out who are the people that are going to be moving, who's not moved for a while, who might be underpaid in their current position, I've seen some shocking disparities of pay since I have been in my role. I had two clients recently, both in the legal profession, both graduated the same year. One was on 27K, one was on 230K. Very difficult to tell them apart. They just had different sector experience, but it's the same job. So I think people now... We have more global mobility as things open up from a border perspective. People can move countries easily, hopefully again, but people need to be able and confident to move sectors more frequently, unless you're doing something very specific. The biggest trend is going to be people looking for a change and that might be cross sector. And if you can be flexible enough to onboard people, find them and onboard them into your culture and take that time to do so you will end up with the, the best quality talent from my perspective, happy and engaged talent, which is ultimately what it's all about. There's a framework that talks about how people often say, oh, just pay people loads of money. Well, actually the science proves that money can be a demotivator. You should pay people enough to take the issue of money off the table, but then it's about giving people autonomy, mastery and purpose. So if you take the time to get your talent right, weave those three things into the roles and how you're looking for people, engage them in that discourse during the process, you'll find the best talent and you will fend off any competition that you're worried about fending off as the world or starts to turn on its axis again. Some fantastic top tips there. Thank you for sharing that. Our second bonus question is to share a recent talent acquisition initiative that you've seen and admire. So is there anything that you could think of that you've particularly admired that you've seen? It's a really hard question because what I have seen are the same things regurgitated in different formats. And I think thinking about this question, there is only one time when I've seen something and sat there with my coffee and gone, oh, that's good. So I think that's the, the one that I will share. And it was actually for a digital tech company and they were looking for coders. So they partnered up with a computer video game company and they hid the advert for the job in the shop window of the shoot 'em up game that these people were known to quite like playing. And if they shot the window open, it would take them to the job application page and they didn't advertise on any of the platform. And they had to have it up for about six months, but actually with that patience, they found they had three positions and they ended up hiring five because they found five technically gifted people that they, I don't think they ever would have found before. And the people were engaged in the process because they thought this is quite cool. I've never done it this way. And they were those sorts of technically gifted, creative people that enjoyed that. The challenge was, and I remember advising on this at the time was, and this is true with all talent acquisition, 
you can't sell something that your organization is not because people will figure it out really quickly. So when that company was uh, being super creative and innovative with hiring these people and it worked, they had to keep that vibe and going throughout the whole employee experience because if they got in and told these guys, you have to wear a suit and tie and you have to work nine to five and this is the spreadsheet where you've got to monitor your activity, then they would have just resigned straight away. So I think I remember hearing and witnessing that story and thinking, wow, that's genius. But then I was automatically worrying about, will it fit with the company vibes? In that instance, it did and it worked really well. I work often with individuals about what's the brand that they want to present. And I think it's the same from the employer's perspective. And if you are selling Pepsi, but actually your Coke, then people are going to get confused when they start working for you. So you need to have consistency through the talent journey, through the employment journey as well. Completely agree with that. And it's all, it's all about all of the individual touch points that make up your employer brand. And it's making sure that they, every single step of the process fits with your values and it's done with authenticity. And you're right, people will see straight through it if it's just like a creative gimmick that they've done to, to drive initial traffic. But it will soon fall short if it's not the kind of company that would be suitable for that kind of tactic. So, no, a really interesting initiative. And, and thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing all of your experience and expertise today about candidate experience and expectations and the evolving landscape of recruitment after the last 18 months that we've all weathered. So thank you so much for joining us on the Talent Exchange, Richard. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed today's episode on understanding candidate expectations. And we hope you join us on our other podcast too, where we share insights, top tips and discussions on the latest HR and recruitment trends. For more information about Richard and Careerships, make sure to connect with Richard Edge on LinkedIn and follow the Careerships LinkedIn page for more information. To find out more about networks and what we are up to and how we are supporting over 450 clients nationwide to attract, engage, manage and onboard top talent, head over to networksolutions.co.uk. Until next time.